0: Episode 12, Trick or Treat. Don't talk, just listen. Under the black sun there is no hope, only mystery, wonder, and danger. Black Sun Dispatches on the CinePunks Podcast Network. Uh, they, they are not what they claim to be. A note before we begin. Halloween is built on stories. Here is one. What you know of as Halloween was not always that. It went by many names. Before Christ on his cross, back in the days when the old gods roamed still in the deepest watches of shadow in the dark forests, the pagans celebrated the feasts of Pomona and the festival of Parentalia. And of course, there is Samhain. The old Irish word literally translates to "summer's end." Sam aimed at a time when doorways to other worlds would open, allowing in the monstrous, the dead, and the damned. These may seem the concerns of fairy tales, mostly forgotten in the turning of the world. But only a few years back, archaeologists unearthed an earthen chamber beneath the bog, and inside this chamber were nestled the bodies of a dozen. Ireland, bodies preserved so perfectly that the ancient rulers seemed only to be sleeping. Across each throat was a single red line, a knife slit carving each king a second mouth. These were the sacrifices offered up to close the doorways, the kings giving up their own lives to save their peoples. Until, of course, the next year came around. story before we begin properly. What you know as trick-or-treating has long been that. There are accounts going back to the 16th century in Celtic lands detailing children in mask and costume going door to door in their villages to beg for sucre. In these long-lost days, the practice was called souling. A soul can all Christian souls for soul cake, went one begging chant. All gave that could, for there were stories that were well-known, stories too terrible to speak aloud. There were stories of what became of those too comfortable in their greed to spare even a single, meager morsel to a hungry child. There were stories of people stocked, of livestock mutilated, of houses stories of children who vanished upon a breeze and returned, riding the gale. There are stories of grown men, reduced to babbling terror before being dragged by unseen hands into the deepest depths of midnight, never to return. Some of these stories continue to this day. You need only ask and you will find some. The older folks will tell you, though they may take some prodding. stories of things that look like children but who are far older than that there are stories of what these things whatever name you care to give them do to those who slight them there are stories of what happens once they remove those masks there are stories to start any trouble. After the meeting, she was informed by the widow McMillan in no uncertain terms that trouble was exactly what she had started. And this had been said with a tone of voice that strongly implied that Meredith Klein would do well to feel quite bad about what she had done, if she didn't already. And if she did already, then she should almost certainly feel even worse. Meredith Klein was very shocked by she truly had not meant to start any trouble and, honestly, even now, she could not have said precisely why the trouble had started. Bringing Halloween back had seemed like a perfectly nice idea when her grandchildren had suggested it to her, and she thought that her pitch to the rest of the building advisory council had gone rather well, if she did so herself. When she looked over the room as she spoke, everyone had certainly seemed amenable. It was really just the Widow McMahon saying that the idea was foolish, and that Meredith Klein was foolish for suggesting it. But here, at the Swan, the word of Macmillan's word was as good as God's. Maybe someday, someone was standing against the old woman's decrees. It was hard to argue with success. All things considered, the Swan apartment complex was doing rather well for itself. Nothing about the situation was ideal, he had to look for positives when living in the city beneath the black sun. The kaiju's footsteps had stayed far away from where the swan was located, and, through luck and careful planning, none of the subsequent encroachments by other beasts and abnormalities from out of the midnight desert had taken too much of a toll on the inhabitants. They were not exactly thriving, but, over five years after the descent, Going so well that the advisory council, with approval from the widow MacMillan, of course, announced that holidays were going to be allowed again. The first Thanksgiving was a cheerful affair, and there were smiles and laughter aplenty when Christmas rolled around. Valentine's Day afforded the adults in the building the opportunity to express to one another how happy they were to still be alive and still in one piece. A couple pieces, in particular. 4th of July cookout involved neither cooking nor anyone going outside, but a good time was had by all. So it seemed like a logical step when Miles and Emma, Meredith Klein's grandchildren, asked her if there was a chance that the swan could revive Halloween this year. They required children. Simply liked what they liked, and what they liked was Halloween. Meredith Klein promised to bring it up at the next meeting of the Building Advisory Council, and this indeed. Snapped against her, demanding she stop this foolishness, stop making trouble. It was a shaken and surprised Meredith client who returned to the family's apartment and reported to her grandchildren that there would be no Halloween in the Swan for as long as the widow McMillan was in charge. Miles and Emma were saddened, but their parents could barely hide their relief. They knew the children. city beneath the black sun, a gale began to rise, the wind carried Halloween with it. The strangeness began not long after. Night. that one might have been forgiven for believing it was some distant object rapping against an anonymous wall, or maybe yet a trick of imagination. But the knock was steady, and the knock was firm, and she knew the knock was coming against her door. When it would not go away, the widow McMillan struggled into her slippers and made her slow She had always been a short woman, and age had only made her shorter. She had to go on her tiptoes to see through the peephole, the bones in her feet giving a short but noticeable pop as she rose. Outside, in the hall, there stood a boy, and there stood a girl. The boy wore a suit that once must have been a man's, tailored down to fit his slim frame. The suit may once have been bright and lively, but time had spoiled it, faded it. On his head, the boy wore a mask of a clown's face, lips split in an eternal guffaw, and eyes peaked in what might have been intended by some reprobate mask maker to be an expression of cheery whimsy. But the widow Macmillan felt no such humor in response to this. She was suddenly struck by the memory of when, as a young girl, she put on her favorite pink dress and accompanied her mother to the zoo. She had wanted, most of all, to see the hyenas, for she had heard they laughed like people laugh. The guide had tried to steer the group of children and parents away from the hyena pen, saying that it was not the right time to visit. But she had snuck away. she peered over the edge and into the enclosure. It became clear why the guide had strived to shield the children from what was occurring. It was feeding time. The hyenas were smiling as they ate, smiling as they seemed barely to cling to the surface of the mask. Her dress may once have been the bottomless black of the deep ocean at darkest midnight, but time had worn it down, rendering it the dingy black of old ditch water. This face, too, was frozen in a moment of cackling laughter, as if the pair outside were locked forever in a joke they could never share. Each child held a sack. Trick or treat, the children said. Go away, the Wood MacMillan said through the closed door. We are not doing Halloween. That is my decision, and that is final. And, And even if we were to bring Halloween back, it's still almost a full month away. She turned to go back to bed. There came again a knocking. Trick or treat, the children said. Now, see here, she said, her temper beginning to rise in spite of herself, in spite of the fear. If you don't knock this off, I will have this door open and those masks off your faces, and then you'll be in for some real trouble. The Wood McMillan hoped the threat did not sound as empty as she felt it was. No force on earth or heaven could bid her open that door. Every time she peered out through the peephole to see those children wrapped in the shadows of the dimly lit hallway she thought again of the hyena pit every time she caught a glimpse of those eyes merry eyes to sag and then to begin to move away down the hall wait with you Laura McMillan said she meant to holler it to let them know that they had not succeeded in scaring her but her voice came as a whisper only a whisper she turned to go back to bed but there came again a knocking enough Willow MacMillan seized up a broom and flung open the door, powered by rage now, by fear now, by the mad courage born of both. She would bash these mischief makers down with all the force she could summon, scattering their full mask into a million pieces. And once she saw and knew their faces, though, she already had a pretty solid theory. She would drag them, boy and girl, Is fine, the said. She stashed the broom, regained composure. <laughs> I think some of the kids were having a bit of fun with an old woman. Don Sullivan made a face. Did you see which punks in particular it was? I've half a mind to tan their hides, hooligans going around bothering nice ladies such as yourself. Never mind that, the Macmillan said. See you in the morning, Don. Don Sullivan said his goodnights, which she did not realize the time of goodbyes, and closed his door. The widow Macmillan closed hers as well. For a moment, she rested her head against the cold metal of the door, allowing its solidity to center to her. Sighing deeply, Then she heard the noise. She was still alive when they found her. She was still alive at first. Her eyes were open, seeing nothing. The other tents could find no injuries on the Widow McMillan, which only raised more questions. The destructors had scrawled foul messages all along the walls of her home, messages written in liquid that was quickly determined to be blood. But whose? The other tents called St. Peter's Hospital, and within minutes, Priya Patel arrived in her ambulance. The Widow McMillan made no fuss as she was escorted away. Over and over. Like people. The next day, the residents of the Swan received word that she had passed. Four weeks afterwards, got around the building of eerie encounters with a pair of children, a boy and a girl, each in a mask. They were glimpsed in and out of shadows, wandering the hallways at night boy and girl were said to scan the doorways as they walked, as if trying to determine which one they should knock on next. When pressed as to why they had made no efforts to accost these children, those who had experienced these encounters could only offer up that there was simply something about the boy and girl and their presence in the hallway after dark that was so disquieting that they could not bring themselves to open up their doors. "'I know they were just kids," Melissa sight said if she saw them walking through the halls. But I looked into the eyes of those masks, and all of a sudden, I heard this laughter. Like, it was coming from far away, but also right behind me. This awful chill ran all through me, and that was enough for me right there. I went into my bedroom, and I locked the door, and I stayed there until I was sure they were gone. And if that makes me a coward, fine. I'm a coward that's alive to talk to you about it. Not all the residents were so accepting of the situation. Don Sullivan, fully clothed, set up what he dubbed a vigilance committee to prowl the hallways after hours, better to root out whoever it was causing all the trouble. Don Sullivan was the only person on the vigilance committee. The earliest, easiest suspects were the children, Miles and Emma, who had started the whole affair with their request to bring back Halloween. But this theory was dispelled when an independent party hung around in the apartment after the children had gone to bed and who confirmed that the children were in their beds when another in the building experienced a visitation. All the children in the building were questioned and all insisted on their innocence. Often they would speak through tears, so terrified were they of the accusations levelled against them and by the frantic, furious tone of the adult. none inspired more terror than Don Sullivan himself. His obsession would not rest, and nor would he. More than once, a resident of the Swan would hear a noise in the hallway during the dead of night, and, disturbed, they would check the peephole. What met their view was not a phantom boy and girl, but Don Sullivan. His friends and neighbors tried to convince Don to take a night off, but Don would not rest, could not rest, until he had torn the masks off the faces of those pint-sized fiends and confirmed for himself once and for all who was at fault for It happened just as Don Sullivan began to despair. Perhaps he would never find the miscreants, perhaps the seemingly finite confines of the swan would expand and contract in infinite permutations so that no hallway could ever be walked the same way twice and his prey never came any closer. It was as these thoughts ran through his mind that he turned to regard the hall he had just walked through and saw the boy in his mask and the girl in sign. Trick or treat, the children called. You, Don cried, and he launched after them. The boy and the girl darted through the door leading to the stairwell. Don followed them, only to discover an empty stairwell, filled only with the sound of echoing laughter. He could not be sure if it was coming from above or below, so he gambled on above, strengthening as he climbed. The laughter stopped with the sound of a door above him opening and closing. The roof, he thought. He burst through the last door, his breath steaming before him Don Sullivan called, the thrill of the chase evaporating at the sight of the imperiled child. Get away from there! She stepped into air and vanished from view. No! Don Sullivan cried, racing to the spot where the girl had just been. He peered over the edge, stomach your trick, she said. And here's your treat, said the boy, just beside Don Sullivan's ear. Don Sullivan the mask he saw the boy and the girl standing over him it only hurts for a little while the boy said and then you'll be with us the girl said you'll never hurt again once you're with us the boy said in one in one almost synchronized movement Sullivan wanted to scream, but the sound died in his throat. And it was a funny thing, but he felt the fear itself dying out as well, draining away. It was all very funny when he thought about it. All things. Even the flayed visages now revealed. Struck 12 and Halloween began, Don Sullivan began to laugh and found he could not stop. Meredith Klein had been awake for a few hours with an unspecified feeling. Of dread. When the knocking came, she was not surprised. She went to the people only to gasp at what she saw. Though she did not recognize either of the children, she knew Don Sullivan on sight, even if he wore a strange wolf's head mask over his face. He stood between the children, holding the boy's right hand in his left girls left in his right. In their other hand, each child held a sack. Meredith Klein opened the door. Trick or treat, the children said. Dawn? Meredith Klein asked. Dawn, it's barely seven in the morning. What's going on? The wolf's head. It seemed to Meredith Klein that the maw was twisted in expression close to laughter. Behind its eyes and between its teeth, there was only black. Trick or treat, the children repeated. It occurred to Meredith Klein that trick or treat was a question, or more accurately, a challenge. Most everyone simply opted for the treat half, and never had to worry about what the trick might entail. She thought of the widow Macmillan cold on some slab down at St. Peter's Hospital. She stared at the silent thing that had once been Don Sullivan. children dreaming pleasant Halloween dreams. She found a few meager morsels and gave them to the children. The children said, thank you, in their cheerful voices, and began pulling their dawn-shaped thing away to the next door in the hall. They hit every single apartment inside the swan. Some tenants tried to say something to Don, but none received any reply. Most avoided even looking at him. None dared break the threshold of their homes, save to pass across whatever sacrifice they could spare to the things in their masks. When every home had given up some treat to the witch, the clown, and the wolf, The children led Don Sullivan out the front door and into the city, but when tenants looked out their windows, they saw not a soul moving below. A strong wind blew through the city beneath the black sun, and it carried Halloween. Thank you for listening to another episode of Black Sun Dispatches, part of the CinePunks Podcast Network. My name is Brand Foley and I write, produce, and perform the show. Uh, Black Sun Stun- Stun- Dispatches is, is only one of many great shows offered by the Cinepunks Network. Uh, if you like this one, please check out Cinepunks, Loud, Fast, Philly, Horror Business, The Mandate, Got Me a Movie, uh, or any of the others that we have uh, to offer. Uh, there's tons of great stuff, so there's bound to be something that you're gonna like. Uh Cinepunks is sponsored by Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. Hit them up at xlvacx.com. It's a really cool uh, outfit, so we give them a look up because uh, they help us out. Uh, you can be a synth sponsor yourself by supporting our Patreon, which you can find on our website. Uh, please do. Uh, if you like the show, uh, please spread the word on Twitter, on Facebook, via messenger pigeons, uh, via smoke signals, uh, whatever. How you like to communicate? Uh, just you know, Let people know that this show exists uh, and it's good you can find me on twitter at the true brennan f and you can follow the show on twitter at black sun show uh black sun show feed will probably have just updates for new episodes uh hints uh or just other kind of general cool stuff black sun dispatches logo was designed by jennifer rogers uh the music for this week's episode is winter by e.l Heath. uh i hope to have at least a couple more episodes for this month uh halloween being uh some fitting holiday for this particular show uh, we will definitely have one more in two weeks uh and that one is entitled a good old-fashioned ghost story so i uh, look forward to that in a couple weeks i hope you enjoy this episode i uh, hope you listen to uh the rest uh and are there for when we're back in a couple weeks uh thanks guys bye Boo.